This is a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. Thank you, Johnny, and good morning, everybody. Lovely to have you with us, uh, whether it's in person uh, or online. Um, one of the great things that we get to do over the coming term is actually just journey through uh, a book of the Bible together. Uh, this is one of my favorite things to do uh, as a church family, because uh, I just think this is such a gift of God to us. So rich uh, and alive, it continues to shape and, and form us and inform us uh, and read us. Uh, one of my personal convictions uh, as a preacher is that, that every time we gather and every time we open up the Word, I want God to speak from here. I don't want to gather around my opinions or my thoughts or my feelings. I'm certainly always on guard in, in my preparation to make sure that I'm not just proof texting and, and slapping some verses on to, to agree with what I think or my opinions are in that moment, but that actually we come to the Scriptures and allow God to speak through it. And I think one of the best ways to do that in community together is to journey passage by passage, verse by verse, through books of the Bible, uh, coming together as learners, asking, seeking, God, what are you saying? What are you speaking to us? Very much with the heart and the desire that God would use that to shape us and to form us and to transform us ever increasingly into the kind of people that he wants us to become. Does that make sense? Does anybody else share that conviction and that passion, that excitement as they gather together this morning? Absolutely. Uh, and so if you are someone who's like, yes, absolutely, I want God's word uh, to, to land in my heart and to have outward expression in my lives, then you are in for a treat because James is incredibly practical uh, as a book. So a little quote about James uh, on the screen um, behind me. But one of the things that we set this year is that we want this to be a year of kind of overflow, of being filled to overflowing. Uh, and I'd love this term to be very much a part of that, that as we fill ourselves with God's truth and God's word, that it would have practical outworkings and overflow into the ways that we live. And James is simply not going to let us off the hook on this one because he is going to hit that overflow time and time again. What does it look like? What does it sound like? How do we behave as those who are shaped and formed and filled by this beautiful God of love? So if you're as excited as me and share that desire to be shaped by God, I'm just going to pray and we're going to jump in. James 1.1. 1, 1. Uh, Heavenly Father, that is our heart's desire, uh, that we would meet with you, that we would hear from you, that we would be shaped and formed, drawn closer as your children this morning. God, we do ask that your blessing would rest upon our Kingdom Kids ministry as they journey through a passage throughout this term, looking at what it means to live out the fruit, the Kingdom fruit are in their lives that the Spirit is bearing. And for us in here, Lord, as we track through the book of James, God, would you shape us as a people that our outward lives and our inward lives would greatly align with our new identity in you, Jesus. So would you use this morning and the mornings to come for your glory and the building up of your church here at NBBC, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. So that means if you have a Bible, it'd be great to get it out. Uh, I really don't mind if that is electronic or physical. Uh, as long as you're following along with us, that would be great. And we're going to start uh, in James chapter 1 at the beginning, unsurprisingly, in verse 1. And so James starts his letter to the church this way. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Uh, so the James that we are reading is the half-brother of Jesus. There's lots of Jameses uh, in the New Testament. I don't know if you've um, worked that out, just as there are, seem to be lots of Davids in the life of our church. Um, lots of Jameses in the book of, uh, throughout the New Testament and through the Gospels. But this is James specifically, the half-brother of Jesus. Now we know from Matthew 13, verse 55, that Jesus has four half-brothers. James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. And we know that because they were the half-brothers of Jesus, well, this didn't automatically mean that they were going to be great followers of Jesus or believers in him. In fact, John records for us in John chapter 7, verse 5, that even his own brothers, even Jesus' own brothers, did not believe in him. But by the time we get to the writings of the New Testament, James certainly very much is a follower, a believer of Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 15 verse 7, we read of a specific resurrection appearance to James. Now, whether that's because he'd already come to faith in his half-brother Jesus, or whether that was the Saul on the road to Damascus uh, conversion experience for him, we're not too sure. But as the recordings of the early church uh, take off in the book of Acts, we see that James is an incredibly significant figure and person of influence in the early church. And this is not just a, a believer, not just a disciple, but a key leader in the formation of the church movement that we, millennia later, across the side of the uh, other side of the world, are recipients of. And if you want to just see how significant a leader he is, go and have a read of Acts chapter 15, uh, where they have that conversation and discussion and debate, those decisions that the church uh, has to do in Acts chapter 15, and just read the tone, uh, what shifts when James starts to speak. Everybody looks to him and reveres him. It's pretty amazing. Paul himself, Galatians 2.9, refers to James as a pillar, one of the pillars of the early church. G.H. Reynolds says, apart from Paul and Peter, no figure in the church of the first days plays a more substantial part upon the historic and legendary stage than James, the first bishop of Jerusalem. That's a bit of a lead-in because we're obviously going to track through this book that he wrote, but I do want you to pay attention to the way that he introduces himself um, in this book. So although he is the half-brother of Jesus, although he is a key leader in the church, although he would be widely known and widely recognized, he doesn't write in his introduction from a place of positional authority or relational proximity to Jesus. His self-descriptor, his self-identity is as a servant. Uh, the word, Greek word there is doulos, literally a bond servant, a, a slave, someone whose life belongs, in his words, to God and to the Lord Jesus Christ. The most important thing he wants to communicate to us, his readers, is that he belongs to God and to Jesus and he serves them with his life. And he writes, as you see there, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations. Uh, so James is, some would say, quite possibly one of the first letters written that make up our New Testament. And so at the time, the church was predominantly made up by Jewish people who had come to faith in Jesus. A persecution had broken out in the early church around kind of Jerusalem, and so they had been scattered. They'd been pushed out geographically, and they'd taken up residence in different cities and in, and in different parts of the world. So they're scattered now, and yet, from this Jewish heritage, they now have this common faith in Jesus. 
identity, humility, and purpose. That's what I read into the person of James from his opening letter. James knows whose he is, he knows whose he is, and he knows what he is to be about, preaching and encouraging these scattered tribes. There's an encouragement, I think, for us all this morning. Do you know, do you have identity, humility, and a purpose to know what it is that God has for you to do in and through your life? Uh, well, yesterday, and my voice is uh, having trouble this morning, uh, we were at a wedding, uh, and chances are, I reckon, people in this room love going to weddings. Is that fair to say? No. Oh, wow. A few people are not so sure. That's okay. You've been to the wrong weddings. That's all I can say. So uh, it, was, it, was a, it was a very long day, uh, but a great day, uh, because it was my old youth pastor at my last church getting married, which was great. Uh, and he was marrying a, a pastor's uh, daughter, and so it was a big trek for our family down, uh, down to the eastern suburbs uh, yesterday for a wedding, which is always a joyous occasion. Uh, and it's made even more particularly joyous when the people that you're going to celebrate with, you haven't seen some of them for eight months Now, you've got to remember that this is the church I was at for nine years before coming up here. These are people I served with, worshipped with, um, were in small groups with. uh, So deep, deep relationships and and, and common ground together. So you can imagine the kind of greetings that happen after eight months when you get the chance to reconnect with one another on an already joyous occasion. There was genuine joy uh, as we got to reconnect, which I think is just uh, a beautiful, beautiful thing. Uh, And a little bit of a side, but Johnny's um, message last week about being a welcoming and friendly church, I reckon a key of that is the way that we greet each other and welcome each other. Isn't it something beautiful when you walk into a room and you just know that someone is so filled with joy that you're there? (laughs) I love that. So I think we should be aiming for that as well. Genuine joy as we were greeted yesterday. Uh, And so James has this little play uh, in the original Greek where he sends his greetings to the scattered tribes and then encourages them to greet trials with pure joy. I guess in the same way that I was welcomed and greeted yesterday, he encourages us, challenges us to think through greeting trials that come in our lives in the same way. Now for most of us, that wouldn't be our default response, would it? Certainly not mine. Certainly not mine. Trials, tests, and temptations? No, I want an easy life, thank you very much. I want things to go smooth. I want things to be easy. I don't want to have to fight and to sort my way through it. And of course, James here is not advocating. I should follow along up there, shouldn't I? There we go. James is not advocating that we should somehow all be masochists and really enjoy and savour trials and temptations, hard things that we experience in life, or that we should purposely seek them out in any way. That would be very unwise. But what he's seeking to do is to reframe our response and to reframe our attitude towards various kinds of trials. Because we will bump up along them along the way, won't we? All of us will experience hardships. And he's talking about everything from the persecution that these believers are experiencing through to the everyday temptations and just hard stuff they would experience in family life and in small business life and just trying to provide a life for themselves as well in every kind of trial and test and temptation. James is encouraging them to see it as an opportunity. Instead of being crushed by trials, instead of just trying to avoid them, or even worse, allowing those trials and temptations to lead us down ungodly paths, 
James wants us to embrace them as opportunities for God to work in us and for God to be glorified through us. So consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces. For James, there is something about every trial, every test, every temptation that does something in us. It not only tests, but it has the potential to bear fruit. It can produce something in our lives. Now, many years ago, I had the chance to manage a Subway store. So if you like to eat fresh, I still claim that I'm a sandwich artist. Uh, it was good, good, years, good years spent there. But uh, as a manager of this um, little store, one of the things that would happen every couple of months is that we would get an inspector come to test our compliance as a store. Uh, we wouldn't know the exact day this person would come, but we generally had a good idea of what week they would come. Uh, and, and it was obviously an incredibly stressful experience because there we were, this little store, but we were in a business park, so we still were plenty busy, and you had to do all the normal things you had to do, make sure you received orders, put them away, prepped food, cooked those delicious cookies that you, know, you just couldn't help but you know, partake of every now and again. Uh, we needed to make sure that we were keeping everything clean from uh, sort of outside, uh, through the inside, through the back of house, uh, and have great personal hygiene, you know, appearance and all that kind of stuff, and great uh, kind of chemistry with uh, everyone who came through. All the while, there's somebody there with a clipboard observing us and taking notes and making sure that we're doing the right things and diving into our fridge and checking the dates and on things and asking to see paperwork and all that kind of stuff. It was a test. It was testing, and the idea of their visit wasn't simply to cause us harm or stress or to make that one of the least desired shifts in that particular quarter. The idea was to reveal something about the nature of our store. In a dream world, and certainly for us, it was to confirm something about our store. And so although the experience itself was hard, at the end of it, what was confirmed, what was revealed, because I ran that store, no, uh, uh, was that, hey, you guys are a good store, you're following good policy, and you have good relationship with your customers. It was this confirmation, this, this revelation of the validity of what we were doing. And I think just like a engineer or somebody who sees the house that they built being pummeled by inclement weather and it's standing strong, it kind of tests the validity of their work, so too for the Christian, uh, trials and temptation are an opportunity for the quality and the strength and the genuineness of our faith to be revealed. And chances are you've experienced this, that it's often in the hard times, in the particularly testing circumstance, maybe in face of that really strong temptation that pulls at your heart, that the genuineness and the strength of your faith is revealed. And it's a great thing and it's an encouraging thing and it's a hope-giving thing to find in those moments that your faith is real, that it's practical, that it makes all the difference. It's not to say that the trial or the testing or the temptations come from God, that, in fact, James specifically says they do not. But they allow, through that trial, through that temptation, through that test, the quality, the strength, and the genuineness of us, of our faith to be revealed. 
that is a very good thing. So we're to consider it pure joy whenever we face trials of many kinds because we know that the testing of our faith, it produces. So not only does the times of testing uh, reveal something and confirm something about the validity, the truth, the genuineness of our faith, uh, there is also an overflow, to use that word from today, or bearing a fruit. It produces something in us. So trials and temptations, they provide this opportunity for personal growth and spiritual maturity. You know, many, many years ago, as I've shared um, before, um, I had a couple of years with a, a chronic illness. Um, I don't want to recap all of that because I spent a bunch of time doing that in term one and you can go back and listen to that uh, message if you like. But I remember being in those years um, and looking back on those years and actually thinking through how it shaped and changed me as a person, how it shaped and changed me as a, as a follower of Jesus. And I don't for a second think that God sent that illness into my life or that experience into my life. But I do think God being good and powerful and kind and loving and present with me used that for his glory in me. The 30-second version is I had a little bit of glandular fever that turned into a couple of years of chronic fatigue syndrome. had to quit my Bible college, had to quit my church ministry job, move back in with mum and dad uh, as an adult who'd been living out of home. And those years in me, they did something to my character that is precious, that has the fingerprints of God all over. There was a, a gentleness, a, a maturity that came through adversity that I'm not sure would have been as easily won if everything had gone swimmingly and smoothly in my 20s. And there was definitely a sp spiritual maturing process where I had to learn that God was good apart from my circumstances. And learn very on that I can trust God, that I can celebrate his goodness even when life did not feel good or I was not experiencing good circumstances, but actually to learn and what it means to lean on him and to, to trust him and to experience his presence in that at the same time yearning for life to be different was an incredible lesson that I think was a gift from God. Not the circumstances, but the lesson. An opportunity for personal growth and spiritual maturing. James writes to believers who are, by all intents and purposes, having a tough go of it, being persecuted left, right, and center. And he reminds them that to let perseverance finish its work so that they may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Their experience of the pressure, of the heat, of the hard thing is doing a work in them and it's actually producing in them, um, this is translated perseverance or, or endurance is another great translation of this Greek word. It's that idea that they're able to stand, they're able to withstand all manner of things that come against them. And that as they do, the encouragement is to let that work be finished. But actually God through that is so shaping them, so forming them, that he's bringing within them this depth of maturity and completeness to the point where they will lack nothing. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Don't we want to get to that place in our spiritual life 
where we lack nothing, so mature, so complete, because we've allowed this work of God in us all the way through to completion. And I think this makes sense for us, right? Uh, we, we know this, don't we? Anybody go to the gym? One person, awesome. Three, four, all right, yep. Anybody, everybody thinks they should go to the gym? Oh, there, there we go, all right. <laughs> Obviously, I don't, but I'm led to believe that if you go to the gym, there's a number of things that you will do as part of that kind of personal growth and development, that trying to mature things, uh, and a big part of that is to load up more than you can bear, right? So you actually need weight. You actually need resistance in order to grow, right? No one's going to the gym and not picking up a bar and picking up a weights and just, just doing this, right? Oh, yeah, that's pretty easy. I'll do 100 of those, go home. Life's pretty good. No, you need to load up the weights. You need to have resistance in order to grow. It's the same thing that when we, when we cook, isn't it? We apply heat. Anybody a spag, bowl, legitimate cooker, not just like slap a few things together, right? You know that what you want to do is you want to put all those ingredients in there and you want to turn the heat up and just let that thing simmer and simmer. Let that heat stay on it. Don't let it get off the hook. Life's not going to be easy and smooth for that pan, is it? You're going to keep the heat on it and it's going to reduce, and it's going to get more and more flavorful, it's going to develop, it's going to mature, and it's going to be amazing, right? Same thing with a pressure cooker. You get some sinewy, fatty, tough bit of meat, and you just, ugh, you just want to cram all that pressure on it, and you want to keep that pressure on it until everything breaks down and becomes soft and delicious, and, you know, this cheap cut of meat suddenly now could be served in a super high-end restaurant because of the pressure that had been applied to it. All right? Is this making sense? When we bear up under weight, when we have resistance in that heat, in that pressure, that's often part of the process by which something improves, strengthens, develops, matures, becomes something of worth. And so too it is with the Christian. That as we experience heat and pressure and weight and resistance, if we participate with it, God will do a work in us that will bring us to a place of increasing growth and maturity. And praise God that he does. And finally, in this little section, um, trials and temptations, they provide uh, an opportunity for, to teach us, for us to be taught and to equip us with wisdom. Have you learned anything ever from hard things? Yes. Um, I wish I could... <laughs> We've got to get some cameras up on stage so we can see some facial reactions every now and again. People are like, yes, yes, they have. Right? Often the lessons that are the best learned or the hardest one have come from those hard times, haven't they? It's not from classroom teaching. It's not from what somebody else has said trying to pass on their experience. It's from us experiencing and having to wrestle with and having to work through the tough stuff in our life and go, God, where are you in the midst of this? How do I trust you in the midst of it? How do I be the person that you're called, calling me to be in the midst of it? Uh, and through those experiences of trials and temptations, we are actually being taught and equipped with wisdom, hard-won wisdom, but wisdom that will stand us in good stead for our own lives into the future, but also as a blessing to pass on to other people. 
And so James is really quick to say, well, well, in this moment, like if, as you're getting mature and this work is kind of being completed in you, if any of you lacks wisdom, verse 5, well, then you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you without finding fault. I love that. How often have we found ourselves, or maybe I should just only confess myself, how often have I found myself in a season of testing or trial or temptation and I've not known what the wise thing is to do? And the invitation of the Scripture, and dare I say the promise of the Scripture, is in those moments that we can go to God and ask Him for the wisdom to know what is the right thing to do. And God doesn't judge us. God doesn't find fault at us as we approach him to ask for wisdom. So he's not saying, oh, you should know that by now, Travis. Didn't I teach you this before, Travis? No, without finding fault, God graciously gifts wisdom to those who ask in faith. When you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like the wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. There, by the way, is a verse that can be taken out of context. This is specifically a verse dealing with asking God for wisdom. And so we can ask God for wisdom, and we can rest on the promise that he will give it to those who believe in faith. Trials, tests, temptations, they're the opportunity for God to equip us, to gift to us his wisdom as we ask in faith for it. You know, I looked back uh, over some of my library of previous messages and worked out the last time that I touched on James uh, chapter 1 was four months into that little thing called the pandemic. Uh, and uh, it was fun listening to myself. <laughs> uh, I'd just been, things had just been rearranged uh, at our kind of church. Um, our worship pastor had finished up, and so I was now responsible for Sunday services. So overseeing the worship team and the preaching roster and everything that happened on Sunday services. And then three months later, we can't meet for Sunday services. <laughs> so, so you got me kind of unpacking this in my message, just going, you know what? Life doesn't always go according to plan. My strategic plan for 2020 was not what we experienced and what, what we ended up. Uh, and how we had to work through that, it was the beautiful opportunity for us as a whole pastoral team to go to God and say, we've, we've known nothing like this before. Uh, all of our tools are out the window. All the things that we value we can't do. God, would you give us wisdom? And I can assure you, there are a lot of prayers that God would give us wisdom through that season. God is good and he's kind, he's gracious and he's compassionate. And he gave us an all, all manner of wisdom to know how best to lead and how best to shepherd, how best to encourage and connect with our church family through those years um, to the point where two years of COVID, our church had grown by 150 people, which is pretty wild. <laughs> but one of the verses or the couple of phrases that he uses here that really stood out to me he says, whenever you face trials of many kinds, consider it pure joy because you know, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. James is not writing purely with an instruction or is not expecting that he is teaching them something that they are unfamiliar with. He writes them and says, you guys know this. You've experienced this. You know what it is to wrestle. You know what it is to be tempted. 
You know what it is to feel like life comes against you. And you know that in that refining, in that shaping, in that forming, God can do a beautiful and powerful work in you in a way that he can't in a classroom, in a small group, listening to a message on Sunday morning. Because you know. And it reminds me and it reminds us that all of us experience, we have these experiences of hard things in our lives. And maybe you yourself are continuing to experience that in a very real way this morning. That you feel like you're trapped in some kind of circumstance, test, temptation that you just can't get out from under. And so my encouragement is to see that as an opportunity for these things. For God to do a work in you and through you that's going to be of eternal significance. But I'd just love to give you, I think James was a, he was a Baptist before Baptists were Baptists, because he's got three points I'd love to just drop in. Three points I'd love to drop, drop in. Uh, choices that I think uh, that we have in those times of trials uh, and temptations that he encourages us and invites us to choose. Uh, so the first one uh, is this. Uh, trials and temptations, they provide us with a choice. The first is to choose a godly uh, perspective. Uh, when, we ha- when we do experience uh, trials and various temptations uh, in our lives, uh, we are invited to choose a godly perspective. And we've already been talking about that uh, a little bit this morning. But he goes on specifically in verses 9 through 11 to talk about our position uh, in life. And ultimately, he invites us to think eternally about our perspective and to not allow when things go well in our lives to give us a, a pride uh, or a self-reliance and look down on those who are doing it tough. The next choice I think he gives us, which is a really important choice, is to choose a godly path. To choose a godly path. Just because trials and temptations can lead to these things doesn't mean that they always do. And there is an alternative which he spills out for us. So in the same way, there's a process where trials and temptations can produce endurance, which will lead to maturity and us lacking nothing and having wisdom, we can also respond by giving in. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, He gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to to death. So there is a pathway here that mirrors, that is in opposition of the healthy, godly path that leads to perseverance and maturity and wisdom and honouring of God. And that is to allow ourselves in those hard times or in those times of temptations to respond from our evil desires, to give in to temptation. And James is very quick to say, well, let's not go pointing the finger at God at this time. Say, God, well, you've allowed this in my life. God, I experienced this in my life. So, well, what do you expect? And to pursue that sort of behavior. No, no, no. If we are to act on temptation, we must own that it comes from within us. Which is not to say the circumstances are of our choosing or experiencing of the temptation has come necessarily from within us. But how we respond and what we do, we need to put our hand up and own. And if I'm honest, I think it's important to be honest. 
that during some of those years of living with that chronic illness, I allowed myself at times to be led into sin by the hardship of my circumstances. And because what I was experiencing in my mind was so tough, I excused some behaviours and some actions as some sort of bizarrely twisted, self-indulgent, I deserve this because life is going so rotten for me. And there were times where obviously I chose the godly path as well. And I'll let you guess which one I'm recommending to you this morning. We have a choice. Choose a godly path as you navigate out and through hardships. And the last one is to choose a godly prize. When we're experiencing, we're in the midst of those tough things, those tough circumstances in our lives, the temptations that we can't seem to get out, of, out from underneath. The prize is not simply to be on the other end of it. The prize isn't simply to be better people uh, as a result. The prize is set before us, and it is beautiful, and it is wonderful. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood that test, the person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. James reminds us, lift your eyes, set your gaze in those times. Remember what's at stake. Remember that when you stand before him, you will never regret choosing him and choosing the godly path and the godly response. And I love this. I love watching sporting events where the teams kind of come on to the field before the game commences and there in the middle is the prize set before them. Remember what you're competing for. Remember what you're playing for. Watched a bunch of tennis growing up and they'd walk through the halls and there'd be the photos and there'd be the names of all the past winners. Remember what you're playing for. Remember why you're here. Remember what's at stake. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life. Goodness gracious, isn't that invaluable? That the Lord has promised. The Lord will give to those who love him. I think for us, and well, certainly for me, one of my constant motivators is to come back to that phrase, well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear when I enter his presence forever. And I know I'm surrounded by a bunch of brothers and sisters who want to hear that too. And sometimes in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the testing, in the midst of the temptations, maybe we can lose sight of that a little bit. But let's never forget to fix our eyes on the prize, on the goal, on what awaits us as we choose the godly path, as we choose him, as we choose to participate with what he is doing in us so that he would get the glory as we live our lives in good times and in hard times. Father, I want to thank you for your never-ending kindness, your powerful presence in our lives. God, we just want to thank you so much. 
We celebrate together as a people that our faith in you, our relationship with you, being filled with your Holy Spirit makes all the difference as we navigate life. And yet, just as Jesus promised, in this world we will have trouble and we know it, Lord. And when it comes against us, it can sting, it can deflate, it can even get us to that point of feeling defeated like we just want to give up. I pray this morning through your servant James, God, that you would just remind us afresh of your goodness and of how much you are at work even in those times of hardship. And Lord, we want to pray that in our response, you would be doing a new work, a beautiful work, a work of eternal significance in us and ultimately through us. God, would you shape us? Would you form us? Would you ever increasingly transform us into the people that you have called us to be? The people that it's our desire to ever increasingly become. Use everything, Lord. Use the good times. Use our church services. Use our private devotions. And yes, Lord, even use hard times as part of that process because we love you. And we love being yours. And we long for and we look forward to that day where we will experience life perfectly for all eternity without these trials and temptations, without these horrible circumstances, without ill health, relational fallout. And we set our gaze and our eyes on that where we will receive the crown of life and be welcomed into your eternal, eternal kingdom with the words, well done, good and faithful servant. Help us live that out today and tomorrow and all the days of our life. We love you. Thank you for speaking to us. This has been a presentation from Narara Valley Baptist Church, a church that's desperate for God and passionate for people. To continue the conversation, we invite you to join us Sundays at 9.30am and 5pm or on our website at www.nvbc.info.